Let's read this together. Uh, we're going to talk about hilarious generosity, but this is a grace of giving. There are notes online. If you click the link uh, on your Uversion app, you can find them. Go to events, search for Hartville. You'll find them if you're using the Uversion Bible app. We have the Word of God so readily available, uh, which they didn't used to have, but I think still sometimes because it's so av- available, we take for granted the reading of Scripture. So I'm going to be reading this in the ESV, English Standard Version, uh, and you read along whatever you want to read along with. And uh, we're going to hear the same thing. Uh, so please read this with me, 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 1. Here we go. So Paul is writing to the Corinthians, and he says, We want you to know, brothers, and when he's speaking to brothers, of course, he's speaking to brothers and sisters. It's kind of the cultural way of greeting. He says, I want you to know about the grace of God that has been given among the churches of Macedonia. For in a severe, listen to this, In a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. For they gave according to their means, as I can testify, and beyond their means of their own accord, begging us for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints. And this, not as we expected, but they gave themselves first to the Lord, and then by the will of God to us. Accordingly, we urge Titus that as he had started, so he should complete among you this act of grace. But as you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, it's a little sarcasm here, in knowledge, in all earnestness, and in our love for you, see that you excel in this act of grace also. I say this not as a command, but to prove by the earnestness of others that your love also is genuine. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you, by his poverty, might become rich. I'm going to keep reading. And in this matter, I give my judgment This benefits you, who a year ago started not only to do this work, but also to desire to do it. So now finish doing it as well, so that your readiness in desiring it may be matched by your completing it out of what you have. For if the readiness is there, it is acceptable according to what a person has, not according to what he does not have. For I I do not mean that others should be eased and you burdened, but that as a matter of fairness, your abundance at the present time should supply their need so that their abundance may supply your need, that there may be fairness. Then he quotes from back when God was feeding everyone with a manna from heaven, as it is written, whoever gathered much had nothing left over and whoever gathered little had no lack. We'll stop right there. But not, not motivated by pride, not motivated by any self-interest, not motivated by greed, but by gratitude because of grace to generosity. Okay, I hope you'll see that because we're trying to study these scriptural principles and practically apply them to our lives. They're so alive and they're so powerful, especially in how we, how we deal with our stuff. Remember last week we talked about being, anyone remember? Of course. You do. About being overstuffed, right? Yeah, oh, you, yeah, we get it. 
uh, and, and not just how we were going to overstuff ourselves at Thanksgiving, but we're overstuffed with stuff. We have too much stuff. How do we deal with our stuff? God's very interested. And here's the way, big thing we notice, that everything that is is created by God. Am I on the right track here? Come on, you got to help me out here. I know it's a dreary day. Uh, so everything is created by God. That means everything comes from God. That means God is the creator and it means he's the owner of all things. So everything's created by God. Everything is owned by God. Everything is distributed by God. So everything that I have, I only have because God allowed me to have it. And even while I have it, it's not really mine. It still is his. He can take it anytime he wants. You might say, well, I've worked hard and I've done this and I'm... Listen, I'm going to tell you what. Who gave you the ability to work? Who gave you the strength to get out of bed? Who's the one that created the seed that we plant that grows things? We're all dependent on God. It all belongs to him. So it involves, as we talked about some last week, more than anything, it involves the issue of ownership. Because when we understand and we realize that he is always the owner whether we want to recognize it or not. And so I really don't own anything. What I am is a manager, a steward is an old word for that, a manager of all these things. And uh, so I understand that, and I understand the grace of God. Grace is all about giving, and he has put into my trust certain things, and I have a heart of thanksgiving and gratitude that flows out from that. Now, in this passage, and I pray we'll be able to come back next week and get on into this part, but where I got the title for these messages comes from this verse in 2 Corinthians, the very next chapter, because in what we call chapter 9, he's still dealing with this whole thing. Um, you do understand that in the original text that the Holy Spirit inspired Paul to write, it didn't come with verse and chapter breaks. That's been added by people later on to help, help us be able to find passages easier, okay? Same thing's true with the Old Testament as well as the New Testament. Um, so it's really the chapter break really doesn't mean anything there. He's still talking about this in 2 Corinthians 9, 7. Paul says this, that you must each decide in your heart, and I'm reading this from the New Living Translation because I really think it nails the essence of what he's saying here, Okay? says you must each decide in your heart how much to give. And don't give reluctantly or in response to pressure. Don't do that. For God loves a person who gives cheerfully, a cheerful giver. Now, as you study the original text, which I always do before I want to teach the best that I can with the tools that I have, because I believe every word of this in this original text Form is inspired of God, even down to the choice of words. And we find out that that word that's translated cheerful there is the Greek word hilaros. What word do you think we get from that? We get the English word hilarious from that. So basically saying God loves a hilarious giver. It means that we have a ready mind and a willing, joyful Heart. That's what that word means. It means to have, it's a word that just has joy bubbling out of it. Oh. And, they, and by the way, 
this is the only place in the New Testament text that that word is used. With giving. How hilarious is that? Doesn't look like it's very funny to most of us. I think it is. And um, the only other place we find this exact word is in the Septuagint, which was the Greek translation of the Old Testament. It's used in Psalm 104.15, where it's meaning about cause your face to shine. For that word for shine, it means uh, to shine. To, and, and, and so I think that somebody that's got this, there's going to be joy bubbling out of them. There's going to be something that just makes your face shine. And it's a joy that only comes from God. Looks like we need a lot of that today, man. It's what happens on the inside of us. Because remember this. Here's the God's point. It's not that God wants something from you. He doesn't need anything. It's not that God wants something from you. He wants something for you. He's trying to give us something. Isn't that ironic? And isn't that just like God? It's so, it, it's so contrary to human logic. Because we want to be greedy and, 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 and get all we can. And as the old preacher said, get all we can and can all we get and sit on the lid. <laughs> that was funny, wasn't it, Wayne? You ever notice how I have to quote someone else in order to be funny? But anyway... Uh, but that's that greed. And he says that's the way that you, you, you really lose out. The opposite of what humanly, you know, our human nature sometimes dictates a lot. Our human nature, our sinful nature sometimes dictates a lot of that logic. It's contrary to that, that, that as you begin to understand ownership and gratitude, as you begin to be generous, you're going to be filled. That's what God wants to do in your, in your life. So... Uh, we're worried about what we have to give up, man. And this is what the devil will do to you when, it's, when it comes to selling out to God, when it comes to giving him your whole heart. It's all about all the stuff I got to give up. I got to stop this. I got to give up that. No, 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 no. The Bible never really focuses on it in that. Paul talks about it in, turn, in terms of what you gain, of what God wants to give you. What God wants us to gain, that's how we approach. Not what we have to give up, but what we gain. So this statement comes here as Paul is dealing with problems in the church at Corinth. And uh, he came to Corinth after, vis uh, after visiting Athens. He found Priscilla and Aquila, and uh, they were of the same trade. They were tent makers. And soon Titus and Timothy, if you're reading in the book of Acts, they came to join him. And they began to share the gospel, and people were saved, and a church was started there in Corinth. Now, it seems like he left Timothy and Titus there to continue the work, but in a short time, there's all kinds of problems in this church. There's two letters written to them that are part of the inspired text, and there are others that were written that we, we know existed, but they weren't part of the inspired text. There was a lot of problems. They were the most, in fact, in chapter 1, he calls them fleshly. In chapter 1. In 1 Corinthians chapter 3, he calls them fleshly. Or the old English word, the old King James is carnal. So this is a church that they were acting very fleshly. They got everything mixed up. There was pride. There was people putting other people down. There was some bad sinful things going on. And they were even boasting about it. 
they were dissing Paul all the time and trying to undermine the authority that he had actually directly from Christ. They abused and misunderstood and misused spiritual gifts to try to promote self. There was just all kinds of problems. And even here, he's dealing with a problem. Um, it seems like during this time, we know from the book of Acts there was a famine in Judea. And we also know there was intense persecution. So the gospel starts, right, in Jerusalem and spreads to that country around Jerusalem. You know, kind of the way the Romans had things divided up to uh, Judea and then Samaria and then to the uttermost parts of the world. So this is in the Gentile world where these churches exist. And they hear that the Jewish Christians, for the most part, back in Judea, around Jerusalem are being persecuted. Many of them are being disowned probably by their families and not able to find work. And then there's a famine. Because of Christ, they were being persecuted. And there were other circumstances. There was, they were on tough times. So Paul always felt like, you know, the gospel came through the Jews. And we kind of, you know, owe a debt of gratitude because of that. But the big thing is we're one family in Christ now. See, what Christ did is to undo what happened with man's rebellion at the Tower of Babel where languages were confused and people groups were separated and as different groups stayed separated in smaller groups and intermarried and raised generation after generation, their physical features and things even began, different things became dominant probably was the origin of different what we would call races and, and people were separated. God chose out later one man, Abraham, and said, through you, all the nations are going to be blessed. He's gonna, and, and this is what Paul focuses in on in his teachings, especially in Galatians. This was always God's plan. So here's what the gospel does. The gospel brings together. Even the separation between Jew and Gentile, he talks about how that God had broken down that dividing partition. And it is the gospel that brings people together. And I think, <coughs> excuse me, you and I don't even realize the animosity that existed between Jew and Gentile in that day. And that how now you have in the same church worshiping together Jew and Gentile. And here you have the Gentile believers feeling a burden to send stuff to help their Jewish brothers and sisters in Judea. This is a pattern that we need to be imitating. People who formerly had nothing to do with each other and didn't like each other. It wasn't exasperated by social media like what we have today, but it existed. But here's the gospel bringing people together. Only the Spirit of God can do that. Anyway, so this is part of it. It's not just saying, oh, well, pray for all of our brothers and sisters, or Jewish brothers and sisters in Judea, pray for them, and we're just going to pray that God will just be with them, which is okay to pray, but you got to do more than that. If you really have a burden, maybe you should actually pray and then do something. All right. So obviously from the way the text reads, the Corinthian Christians were hearing about this, and they said, God has blessed us, we're doing well, let's send an offering. Let's send some help. But they hadn't done it yet. Um, so meanwhile, meanwhile, churches in Macedonia, north of them, you know, up there around Philippi, Thessalonica, and those areas up there, a lot of those churches were under extreme persecution from the Romans and from some Jewish people 
uh, that didn't like uh, the way they were approaching the gospel. So you can see that in Paul's travels and stuff and, and all the things happening uh, if you read in Acts. But many of those churches, even with that, they heard about what they were going to do in Corinth. And they said, like, you know what? Hearing about that gives us a burden too. And they actually did it. All right? And the Corinthians still haven't followed through with it. You know, it's kind of like when you're a kid and you're saying, why, walking around, I can only do things from the guy perspective because that's what I am. You know, you're walking along, I'm sure, I don't know, girls do things differently than guys do, but yeah, thank the Lord. You know, you see that, and I, I, I bet you I could jump across that creek, no problem. No, you can't. Yeah, I can. I guarantee you I can jump across. I jumped across it one time. And you're all talking big, trying to impress your friends. And then one of your smart aleck buddies, he doesn't say anything. He just goes and does it. Now you got to. Right? Now you got to. Yeah. Uh, that's kind of what's happening here. You know, Corinthians talk about, we're going to do this thing. We're going to do this thing. Yeah. Only they hadn't done it. But them hearing about it, churches in Macedonia who were in rougher shape, they actually did it. So Paul's trying to use that to go back to them and motivate them. That's what this is about. Now let's, let's dive into it. Let's look at the motivation. The motivation for their giving as we just kind of unpack this quickly here while the voice holds out. Um, he taught them that giving was an act of grace. You remember grace. Grace is all about giving. Grace is bestowing favor that is undeserved. When you show grace, it is always on someone who doesn't deserve it. Or earn it. If you earn it, it's a wage. It's not favor or grace. He says, look at it. I want you to know about the grace of God that has been given among the churches of Macedonia. I want you guys to hear about how God's grace is coming out in their lives. God started it first. God gave first. Anything that we have comes from him. Paul used nine different words to refer to this offering as you go through this whole passage. But the one that he used most often was grace. Now, it can be translated several different ways. For instance, when he talks about in verse 4, begging us for the favor of taking part, that's the word grace. And I think the, maybe the New King James, it's the gift. That word gift or favor, it many times is this same word. For grace that's used right here. God's riches at Christ's expense. That's what we have. We have God's riches at Christ's expense. He paid for them. We don't earn them or deserve them. Otherwise, it wouldn't be grace. God made that first move by giving his grace on all of us. It's what flows through and motivates us to give to others. That's why he starts with that. Do you see that? It is God's grace flowing through us. And it's always bestowed on those who don't deserve it. So God's grace must, and it's already been poured out on us. It's all available for all of us. Now, it's God's grace that must do a work in our heart. God's grace does a work in our heart. The being must precede the doing. If you are filled with God's grace, you will do gracious and generous things. But it starts with the being. God wants us to be this. You can just do stuff, 
trying to call attention to how, you know, I did this, I did that. But God looks at the heart. It starts at the heart. If it's in there, it's going to come out. The churches in Macedonia had been stirred up now by them, by the Corinthians, to give. And as I said, they hadn't followed through. So verse 2, he says, and that's why he refers to the churches of Macedonia. He said this. He explains how it happened. For in a severe test of affliction, and he also describes them as having extreme poverty. Did you see that? You see that? Now I'm just saying, well, now, when I get in a better position, right? Hey, you got to take care of your business. You got to do things right. You need to work hard. God wants you to be successful. But too often, it comes out like this I just want to focus on myself. And when I get me in a better position, then I think about somebody else. I think about the Lord. I think about the church. I think about other people. It's not how it happened here. It is a severe test of affliction. Some of these people are being hunted down and mistreated. In extreme poverty. And he uses words there to describe that this was all pretty high on the scale. The persecution and the affliction and the poverty. So it's in the middle of both of those things. It's severe test of affliction. Their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty, their joy and their poverty overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. Now, how does that add up? This is not the way human logic would add it up. We could do the equation like this. Severe affliction, so you got that, plus deep poverty, plus grace, equals abundant joy and a wealth of generosity. Do you see how that adds up? Only God could add it up like that. That's not how human beings are programmed by our sinful nature to think. This is what God can do. Take a look at that. That is powerful, but that's exactly how Paul describes what's happening here. This is an amazing formula. This is the promise that God gives us. Way back in Proverbs, this is a, a precept. In Proverbs 3, 9 and 10, he says, Honor the Lord with your wealth and with the first fruits of your produce, not leftovers, with the first fruits of your produce. Then, then he says, your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will be bursting with wine. God is the one who distributes. God is the one who owns. Um, so verse 3 says this, look at it. For they gave, talking about the churches in Macedonia, they gave according to their means, as I can testify, and beyond their means, of their own accord. That's very important. It's very important. I mean, it's not up to anyone else to try to pressure you into doing any of this. It has to come from your heart. The only one that should be motivating you or pressuring you in that way is the Holy Spirit and the teaching of the Word of God. So it's not my business what you're doing. By the way, and, and if you're a part of this local body, we don't check up on you. Of your own accord. Hey, somebody I thought would say amen there for sure. Yeah. They gave as they were able. Okay. You can't give what you don't have. Right? So they didn't have much. He never asked them to give what they didn't have. Maybe you're super busy. You say, well, I don't have much time. God's not going to ask you to give what you don't have. You start where you are. 
in their case, extreme poverty and really severe persecution and affliction. That's where they started. But there was something there they could do because their hearts were overflowing. They not only felt like they had to, they get to. We get to do this. We want to do this. We can't, this is bad grammar, but we can't not do it. Now he's speaking clearly. (laughs) But when you start where you are, God does amazing things, does he not? Starts with a willing heart. You don't have to, you get to. It begins with what you're able. But once this overflow of grace, because you've received so much, and you're motivated to do what you can where you are, you do what you can then you get to see what only God can. Lord, I want to see what you can do. Lord says, we're going to start with you. (gasps) That's not what I was talking about, Lord. (laughs) No, you're part of this. As my grace works through you, and I'm going to move in your heart to do what I show you you can do already, then you're going to get to see me come along and expand it. And overflow it. Remember when that little boy gave his little basket to Jesus? I've often thought if I were there that day and I was that little boy or if I, if I met him, I would be kind of like, hey, buddy, uh, and let's go over here and talk a little bit. You know, and, well, can I, and, and we, you know, might be enough for both of us. Or if I was a little boy, I would have went and hid somewhere. It's like, man, all these hungry people. I better, it's, just like, it's just like, you know, hey, growing up, uh, I was raised by frugal people. Farmers, I didn't say tightwads, but I was thinking it. We didn't go out and eat a lot, right? We didn't go out and eat a lot. I mean, we'd be coming in from a rodeo or something, dad team roped, and we'd go right past, it wasn't very many. You know, back in those days, there wasn't McDonald's everywhere either. I don't know how old I was before I ever experienced. You know, you see those commercials on TV when I was growing up, you know, in, in late 60s, early 70s. And, and, you know, it'd have, like, Ronald the Clown guy, kind of creepy. But then you had Hamburglar, and you had um, Snuffle, no, that's Sesame Street. Not um, What was that? I mean, some purple-looking dude. I don't remember, but uh, Hamburglar. Well, there was a bunch of these dudes. I was really disappointed. First time I ever, I remember, got to go to McDonald's, there wasn't none of them there. You know what? False advertising, right? I thought that's what that would be. But I can remember driving right past a McDonald's. And I was just like, this is my dream. And now it's like, oh, man, like the worst thing. But uh, back then, uh, we could drive home. So then we all get home late so mom can fix us something to eat. Can I get a witness for any of you ladies? You got a husband? No, I can't. I can't. No, no, don't answer. That would happen. But um, I can remember, like, we go out and eat. Like, I remember when Pizza Hut came to Cersei. Man, we got a Pizza Hut. And before that, the only place around where you get pizza was DJ's. It was a local deal. And um, we'd go there, and it was so good. And we'd come home, we'd have leftovers. I can remember being up the next morning. We'd come home from school, it's like, hey, my brothers hadn't thought about what we have in the refrigerator. There ain't enough for all of us. And selfish me did not want to share. I got caught one time by taking the leftovers, and I went and locked myself in the bathroom. So I could eat it. 
And so to this day, you know, this may have happened once when I was like five or six. My brothers still bring this up and make fun of me. I might have been like that, but not the little boy. Boy didn't have a lot. Was what he had enough to feed everybody? Absolutely not. Was it enough even to feed the 12? No. But the deal is, he had what he had, and he gave what he had to Jesus. And then everybody, including the boy, ended up with a full belly. Only Jesus can do that. So if you're just going by human logic, uh, you're never going to figure this out. And so it's why in verse 4, it says, they begged him to take part. They, look at that. They were begging us earnestly for the favor. There's that word grace again. Uh, the gift of taking part in the relief of the saints. And said, and, and not even as we expected, but they, they did it right. They gave themselves first to the Lord and then to us by the will of God. Not because anybody was twisting their arm, not because we try to use slick techniques to try to persuade them. It was because of God. That's the key. You give yourself to God. That's what he wants first. You give yourself to him and then all of you... If you give yourself to him, doesn't that mean everything that you have is included? If I don't, if it doesn't include everything that I am and everything that I have, have I really given myself to him? But if I give myself to him, that it means everything, then everything is in his hands to distribute and to move as he sees fit. It's a God thing now. How he pleases. The Macedonians got this, man. And that's what he said they did. The giving was voluntary and it was spontaneous. Did you get that? Voluntary and spontaneous. It was of grace and not out of pressure. That's how it should be. The grace of God fills us up and overflows onto others. Is that happening in your life? The grace of God and the goodness of God filling you up to the point that it spills over onto others? That's the best way of ministry. Overflow. So he's saying to them, not put your money where your mouth is because y'all are all mouthing off about how you're going to do this. That's not what he's saying. He's saying put your money where your heart is. God wants your heart right. And if your heart is where it should be, then the treasures are going to be in the right place too. Amen? That's why he's sending Titus to complete. Look at this. Verse 6. According, we urged Titus that as he had started, so he would complete among you this act of grace. So I'm going to send Titus. Y'all need a little more pastoring, and I want him to help because you've committed. You said you desired it. He just needs to help you put the pieces together, and you need to do it in the right way like they did, not just because of what you said before, but because your heart is right. So he's sending Titus to them uh, to complete this grace in them. Now, verse 7 is kind of sarcastic. I don't know if you noticed that. But you know, they were always boasting on themselves. The Corinthians were. You catch it in a lot of places. That's why he comes out, and I, I think personally that this is very sarcastic. He says, as you excel. Now, you guys think you're better than everybody. You think you're just way ahead of all the other churches. You excel in everything, in faith, you know, in speech, and, and in knowledge, and in all earnestness. And I'll tell you something else you, in our love for you, because I love you guys. He goes, well, if you're going to be like all that, you need to be all that in this too, right? You need to excel in this, what do you call it? Act of grace, this gift, this act of grace also. That's what I want you to do. Grace is all about undeserved love. Paul's not commanding them to do this. He just wants to know if since they're, they're 
their example of saying we should do this motivated the Macedonians to do it. Now, they've actually done it. The fact that they actually did it and did it right, maybe that'll motivate you to do the same thing and do it right. So an example can stir up the grace of God in our life. God uses people like you all the time to stir up something in my life. And I pray he uses me the same way in yours. So then he appeals to the greatest example of all. Um, he, he's, and that's why he said in verse 8, I, I, this is not a command, but I want to prove by the earnestness of others that your love is also gentle, gentle, genuine. Verse 9, for you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, for our sakes he became poor. The greatest example of this is it, y'all. The greatest example of all time is Jesus. We're just being Christ-like. And you think about how he, God the Son, the splendors of deity, of heaven. And when he came, he was fully human and fully God, but he laid aside many of the prerogatives of deity in order to be contained in that human body and be our Savior. He became poor. He took upon, here is the Lord who spoke it all into existence, and he took upon himself the form of a slave, of a servant. He lowered himself voluntarily. He did this, why? Because he loves you. It was grace. So if you think this is too much, you need to look to your Savior who did this for you personally. This is the ministry of grace. The desire starts in our heart. It starts inside. And that's what he goes on to talk about. That you finish doing this. Having a desire to give is where it starts. You guys had the desire and a burden. But that's just where it starts. You got to actually do it. Not just talk about it. And that's what he's talking about in verses 10 and 11. You have to carry through. So we read here that it was like a year before they had enthusiastically begun to boast uh, that they would share in this offering, but they had yet to do it. As I said, the Macedonians heard about it, and and it encouraged them. And even out of tough times and poverty, they gave. Now Paul turns it back around. Since their intentions motivated the Macedonians, he hopes that that what they did, their actual giving, motivates the Corinthians to follow through. So here's the point. God is not asking you to give what you do not have. But out of a willing heart to give according to what you have. And then see what he can do. He said, I don't want you to give to the point that you become burdened. He says, that's not the idea to help them and then you're hurting. But you give out of the abundance and you see what God can do. And then later on, guess what? You may be the one that's hurting and then they may be the one that are able to share. That's how God wants us to take care of each other. And here's the weird thing. Because we're Americans, somehow we got it in our idea since we have to pay taxes. So did they, by the way, to the Romans who did all kinds of nasty stuff with the money. Since we pay taxes, we think it's the government's job to take care of the poor and the needy. But according to the scripture, it's the church's responsibility to minister to those. Boy, and Jesus talked about it all the time. And how we treat people says so much about the grace of God coming through our lives. Now, he said, I'm just telling you, I'm not saying that you got to help them to the point that then you're in trouble. 
That's not it, but that we take care of each other. And he even quotes some Old Testament stuff there. So Paul's so serious, if you read on in that chapter, he sends Titus as well as a couple other trustworthy guys in verses 20 and 21 to go with them and to help administer this and because there's accountability. Do you see how Paul's even careful about how he handled the money? He wanted there to be several there to check and balance to make sure what was done with it is what was supposed to be done with it. So he sent Titus and some of the other trustworthy people so that they would be able to watch this process. So even when we get it and we take it to and distribute it, we want eyes to be on it. We want it to be open and accountable so there's no funny business going on like happens so much in our world. Somebody that's not willing to be open about it all, there may be something wrong. And Paul guarded against that. So this is it. This is what he wants to do. So the question is, is God's grace flowing through you, the grace of giving? Is this what it's about? About gratitude. First of all, if I'm not thankful, I think I really have earned and deserve everything I have. You've got to realize it's a gift from God. And the ability to enjoy it is a gift from God. Grace. I have received grace from Jesus who left the throne of glory and became poor to save me. And if I've received that grace from him because he died on the cross and rose again to give me new life, is there any evidence of God's grace coming into my life and flowing out? Is there any evidence? The people who are around me, people who live with me, the people who work with me, the people that I don't know so well that I see who are hurting, is there any evidence? So this is where generosity comes from. It comes from grace and gratitude overflows to generosity. Pray with me. Father, help